Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Please take a second to subscribe on iTunes. And for future episode information and additional content, head over to HerdPodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at HerdPodcast. Welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Nick, Vato, Jason, and our special guests, the husband and wife sommelier team behind Wine Blog turned Wine Store Empire, Michigan by the Bottle, Courtney and Shannon Casey. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being with us tonight. Now, guys, as you may remember, we were at the Michigan Wine Showcase last week. Vividly. Uh, and we spoke to a few Michigan winemakers and a master sommelier, Claudia Tiagi. I drank uh, wine. It was great. You did. You had a good time, didn't you? Yeah. This will be two weeks in a row. We did that I'm video. On a streak. That video was wild. I think my favorite part of the video is when someone dropped a wine glass. You like turned your head and went woo. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's a natural. It's a natural uh, reaction for me. So so you can catch that video on our Facebook page. Yeah. Because this is Michigan Wine Month. May is Michigan Wine Month, right? Correct. Yeah. And you can also uh, catch the video on our Instagram account, mm-hmm. at Herd Podcast. Mm-hmm. And you can download last week's episode on the Apple Podcast app at HerdPodcast.com. We also made t-shirts with the video on it as well. They're just, they're, they're still. We could. Yeah. So if you want one, order one. Yes. For the right price, you could have yeah. Whatever us come to Tell us which frame. <laughs> you could tell us the time. That would be, oh, yeah, we'll do a live mm, reads. Dramatization. Dramatization. <laughs> of course. Why not? Mm. All right. Yes. Nick's going to make finger puppets. Good. Kabuki. So... Yeah. Subscribe, Apple Podcast app, or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Download our old episodes because uh, they're pretty interesting, I think. And, guys, so explain the Michigan by the bottle concept. Okay. And, um, and then kind of explain how it evolved from, like, you guys started as a blog, yeah, and you still are a blog. And uh, Yeah, yeah we, we started six, seven years ago as uh, really a hobby side project, a blog that we put together called michiganbythebottle.com to support the Michigan wine industry. And you guys were winemakers before that? We were hobbyists. You were hobbyists. We were, we okay. were wine Enthusiasts. drinkers. Wine drinkers, okay. <laughs> right? so, you, so what do you guys do before that? So you said it's like your free time. What were you, I mean, like, were you doing some like side job or like what was? So we had full-time jobs at that point. Okay. This, the Michigan by the Bottle phenomenon was merely a, a hobby for us. So Courtney was a newspaper reporter. Um, I worked in finance at Merrill Lynch, yeah. and the wine was strictly on the side. It was kind of a fun thing to do. Cool. And wherever we went, you know, we would do um, like podcasts. Not this swanky of a podcast. This is like the most, <laughs> you know, high class podcast I've ever done. But um, we would do podcasts and we do videos. Did you say that one more time? Because <laughs> high class that? podcast. I love that. A R capital T. So we would do articles. Did you hear that, Mom? This is high class. (laughs) You are on a high class podcast. Um, We would do articles and video features, and and people would come up to us and be like, oh, my God, I want your job. You get to play with wine, and that, you know, I just need to have that job. And I'm like, this isn't my real job. I wish it were my real job, but this is just something I do on the side. And, you know, we were selling a little bit of advertising on the page, but we bought so much wine, I don't even think it really covered our... Our wine budget at that point. I mean, it was just, it was just uh, you know, we just loved it. We loved the Michigan wineries and especially some of the, the smaller ones or ones in areas that were not as well known. We felt like they were kind of um, underrepresented or, you know, they didn't get the attention they deserved. And so we thought we'd start this blog. And, and I think some of it, too, was at the time Shannon was really into Gary Vaynerchuk. And you know he when wanted. He was doing wine. Yes, right. yes. He yeah. he wanted back be, in the old days. Right. He wanted to be the Gary Vaynerchuk of Michigan. So that's kind of how it started. <laughs> I, I think I started out as like the person who held the camera. Um, 
but it kind of evolved from there. Well, from because there. we realized that I was not a good on-camera personality, so <laughs> he needed a little. It really should have switched something. <laughs> so you know, after a while, we started saying, "How can we make it our real job?" Because you know, we. We, every time we went to a wine event or a winery, we felt like this is where we want to be. This is where we belong. And that sounds really cheesy. But, you know, we started thinking, how can we kind of take this to the next level? And, and one of the people we met while we were doing some uh, Tweet and Taste Michigan things that we, we don't do anymore, unfortunately. But um, we would taste through wine with pod, uh, with uh, winemakers on Twitter. And uh, we met some wine bloggers from all over the country. And uh, one we met in Washington, and I say met uh, loosely. We never actually met him in person. But he started a wine bar or tasting room in Spokane, Washington for Washington wineries. And we just thought that was the coolest idea, you know, to bring together some a bunch of different wineries under one roof. And again, he was doing it as a side project. Like he had some other full-time job and was like, I want to do this. At first he okay, did, yeah. and now he has his own uh, Washington wine empire over over there. So, you know, <laughs> we we've, we were really inspired by him. We had a lot of talks with him, and, and uh, we said, how can we bring that concept to Michigan? And there was such a need for it because if you go up to the Traverse City area, there's a lot of wineries, of course, if you go down to the southwest part of the state. But what we realized was that the Detroit area, which is where all the people live, was like the black hole of Michigan wine. You know, you, you go into a restaurant and they might maybe have one or two. You go to the grocery stores or the wine shops and they've got, you know, a handful of Michigan wines. Oftentimes it's the stuff that's a little more mass produced, a little more commercial. And really there was nobody selling or promoting some of the boutique wines. And do you think state. that's changed? Because when we sat down last week with a lot of these producers, granted we were sitting down with probably, probably some of the upper level ones, but they were still saying, you know, it's still a little hard to see some of the Michigan wines in restaurants. Oh, it's, it's terrible. I mean, short of our place, right? I mean, there's, you go in and you're never going to see more than two or three Michigan wines in, in most restaurants. Yeah, a few exceptions. I know we have, yeah. we have a buddy in, uh, in Shelby Township, Isaiah, who has Comfy, it's won the, the Our Detroit Best Thai restaurant, I think, like the last five or six years in a row. And he, when he got his liquor license, the first thing he said was, I want to have, you know, pretty much all Michigan wines. And so cool. he brought Shannon in to kind of consult on some of the choices and stuff. But I mean, those kind yeah. of things are so rare. I mean, you usually go to a restaurant, you see the same one or two Michigan wines on all the, all the wine lists. And I know a few years back, we went to Niagara-on-the-Lake, and, and when we went to restaurants, the first thing they said when they gave you the wine list was like, here's our local selections, and here's some other stuff, mm-hmm. basically. You know, yeah. Other stuff being right. you know, France, California, that sort of thing. But it's, but, it's, not, that, it's not that uncommon because if – although I wasn't alive in the early 70s. Um, if you go back to like Napa, right, which is where everybody, everybody that, thinks yeah. – Yeah, everybody loves mm-hmm. Napa wine right now. In the 70s, you couldn't buy Napa Valley wine in Napa Valley. You know, if you go into the restaurants, nobody was pouring it because everybody was pouring French wine. And Napa Valley wine was kind of second tier. And it took until, you know, the, the judgment of, of Paris yeah. and all these, you know, international wine competition type stuff where it started gaining recognition. And now, you know, that's all you see. Mm-hmm. I saw that California movie. That was a good movie. There's a lot of good, good movies Bottle, done about Bottle that. Shock. Yeah, Bottle yeah, Shock. Bottle that was Shock. a great movie. With, uh, what's his name from uh, Chris, Harry Potter? Chris uh, Penn. No, not Alan, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah. Wasn't Chris yeah. Penn in it? There were a lot of actually. There were a lot of big people in that. Captain Kirk, Chris Penn, wasn't he? Chris, Chris Pine. Chris Pine. Pine. Yeah, yeah right. Chris Pine. Couldn't Chris think of Pine. Yeah. But Claudia Tiagi said the same thing. You know yeah. that that back when she first started getting into wine, you know it was like California. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody cared about California. Now California, everybody loves California. So, so well, do you think it's still a little time before that hooks here or? Absolutely. I mean, we're we're still on the upswing of it, right? So we're seeing it a little bit more. You know, Michigan wines are gaining more international acclaim. Various wine competitions, both in the in the state, outside the state, and even you know across the pond, they're starting to become a little more prevalent. They're starting to win some awards. People are really taking note. But I think the big thing is people are realizing that Michigan wines aren't going to and aren't supposed to taste like. California wines, mm-hmm. right? Just like California wines don't taste like French wines. And it's all about the terroir. It's all about kind of what's going into those grapes, what the climate is, what the soil is, and those types of things. And it should have a different flavor profile. So speaking of tasting, you, you brought a few wines with you tonight. Um, let, let's start with this uh, Polar vo- Vortex White that you brought. Um, can you explain it a little bit and then pour a little bit for us? And- yeah. Do you want me to talk about this one? Sure. Okay. So, well, Shannon's pouring. I'll, I'll Ooh, tell you a little a good bit sound about this. Right there. there you go. Um, so, this one is from Domain Berry and Cellars, which is, I, I would say, and maybe Shannon can confirm here, that this is definitely mm-hmm. one of the wineries that really 
inspired us when we were starting the blog as one of those wineries that we thought was really fantastic and thought like more people need to know about this place. Um, they're located in Berrien Springs in southwest Michigan, and the owners are uh, Wally and Katie Maurer. He's baptizing your microphone here. Um, and uh, Wally's the winemaker. And this one is a dry white blend. Um, they're 100% estate grown, so they grow all of their own grapes, which uh, there can be some benefits to that because, you know, obviously when you're um, growing grapes and selling them to many people, you're going to be making some different decisions in the vineyard if you're trying to sell as many grapes as possible versus if you are working on those uh, grapes specifically to go into a wine, you might be making some different decisions in the vineyard. So they're 100% estate grown, and this one is um, Chardonnay, Viognier, and Sauvignon Blanc. And usually Wally would make single varietal wines out of those three grapes, but uh, as the name suggests, the, the polar vortex kind of interfered with that plan. And um, there were two back-to-back years that were really brutal for Michigan winemakers. And so he didn't get as much as he usually would get out of those grapes in terms of yields, so he decided to blend them together. And I really like this wine on our menu because I think sometimes people are kind of afraid to try dry whites if they're not usual dry white drinkers, but then they see the name Polar Vortex and it sounds so interesting. And then they try it and then they discover that they like it. So, you know, it gets people gets people into it, I think. It's been pretty popular. Well, it's, it's been super popular. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for bringing this. We had little, little cheers, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Celebration. I can't reach. <laughs> Get that photo. Got it? Got that photo? It's all about that. social media. Shannon's going to have to lick off his microphone. Um, so uh, so talk about the dry white versus the kind of like Michigan over the years has been known for kind of like their sweet. Um, like a reason, winery like a that Riesling. started in the 30s. Um, well, that – well. What was that last week? Cold Duck? Was that what oh, yeah, Lee yeah, was talking yeah. about? And w- w- that was – I mean I, I wasn't around for that. I, it Why are you looking at me? We're the same age. No, I know, but, but like we, we never had that. I don't, you know, like cold ducks b- before our yeah, time, I right? I think right. we're the same age too. So yeah. yeah. Um, so and, and not to disparage, you know, that, but like for the longest time, Michigan wine was sweet wine, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so when we're talking about bringing these wines into restaurants and and that, it, there's an education that needs to happen, right? That you guys are kind of at the forefront. And so this dry white, um, someone comes into your place and is like, well, I'm expecting something sweet. Is that – And that happens all the time, right? So the reason – well, one of the reasons that a lot of Michigan wines – a lot of wines everywhere from from years ago were sweet is because that's what people bought. Everybody talks dry, right? I like dry reds. I like this and that. Time and time again, people come in. They tell me they like something dry. They end up walking out the the door with a late harvest Riesling or, or, Mm. or something. So it happens all the time. Some people are afraid to say they like sweet wines, right, because they don't perceive them as being serious wines. And that's not – absolutely not the case. I mean we just came back from Bordeaux, France and the Sauterne area where all they make are sweet wines. You know, And those are wines that are you know, four or $500 a bottle and it's purely sweet wines. But what's happened is a lot of these wines that used to be made just sweet, now they're making them in different expressions. So Riesling, which is a huge grape in Michigan, does really well here with the climate, very similar to Germany. They can make it in different expressions. They can make it sweet. They can make it semi-dry. They can make it completely dry. I like dry whites because they're so food friendly. You know, They typically have a little higher acid, especially coming from a cool climate viticulture area like Michigan, and it just tends to go a lot better with food. So we're seeing a lot more people, especially during the summertime, really you know, focusing on the dry whites. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people who come in – I mean we do have people who come in and obviously they know from the sign on the door that we're all Michigan wine or I think that's kind of obvious from the name of our store. Um, but you know, people come in and I feel like they, they want to they dare me, like they want to challenge me. They come in, they're like, I don't like Michigan wine. They're like, you know – Hit me with something, change my mind or something like that. And it, it does happen. Is there a misconception that there's only sweet Michigan wine? Absolutely. Still? And, is the, and then also that there isn't a multitude of wineries that have popped up over the last few years? Like how many Michigan wineries are there now? Do you have any idea? I think the latest number was 127. 127. Yeah. So, um, I mean. And, and so how long has Michigan by the Bottle has been open as a, as a store? 
Yeah, we started the um, Shelby Township location in 2012, and the blog started in 2009. Um, and then our Royal Oak location opened in 2014, and Auburn Hills in 2016. So since the 2012 opening, how many have uh, have there been a lot more wineries open at, at, from that point? So ha- have you added more to your portfolio? Like how, how does your portfolio – how do you build your portfolio? So the, the wineries that we chose, we pretty um, – strict selection process for who we wanted to bring in, not because we didn't like what some of the wineries were doing, but we wanted to focus on smaller boutique stores, you know, smaller boutique wineries, wineries at the time that were using 100% Michigan grapes, right? Because if you're selling a lot of wine, which some of the bigger wineries do, they can't get enough grapes. They've got to bring some stuff in from outside the state. And it was important to us to focus on just those that are using Michigan grapes. But as we became popular and successful, a lot of the wineries in the state started approaching us saying, hey, we, how do we get involved? We want to you know, see our wines repped at, at your places. So The sun is so conceited. Right? It didn't, it didn't <laughs> mean to so be. full of yourself. <laughs> so, but the important thing is we, we wanted to, to bring as many of them in as we could, but we didn't want to cannibalize on the business that we had, right? Because you're, you're only going to sell so many bottles of wine out the door mm-hmm. during a given time. So we, we've slowly added wines, wineries into the portfolio, especially as we open up a new store, and that's kind of given us the flexibility to do that. Now, you couldn't – so the I remember we've kind of talked previous times when I popped in about like the sampling. So because not only can you buy wine, but you can sample, you guys have events, you have all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Tell me about kind of the the challenges about sampling product in a retail venue. Well, when we first started, I know you guys have mentioned like how did how did you evolve? Um, we kind of had a picture in our head of what the business is going to look like. And obviously, four and a half years later, it, it's really changed a lot. Um, we kind of thought, you know, when we first started, it was Shannon and myself and it would be like, you work this day, I work this day. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. And we were kind of delusional. Um, we had like four tables and, you know, I don't know, eight seats at the bar. And we'd be like, if we had the four tables full with like two people each, we were like, oh my God, we're so busy. (laughs) And then now, now it's like, I have five people working at our Royal Oak store on Fridays and that might not even be enough. And Shannon just keeps adding tables and you know, we had to add staff when you add tables, right? But (laughs) got to pack them in. (laughs) No, that's a pretty big Location too, I yeah, feel like. we've definitely gotten bigger over, you know, in terms of uh, size wise over time. But, but it's it's definitely evolved more from a. Um, I, I kind of pictured I'd be standing behind the bar and just pouring people samples and telling them all kinds of things about wine, and it'd be really laid back. And and I'm hustling every night that I'm working, you know, and and I love it. But it, I definitely love it, and I'm happy that it's gotten to the point where we're so busy that we have to hustle all the time. But it's definitely different than what I thought it was going to be, which is probably true for any small business owner. But um, but we do everything in flights. So um, if people want to do five wines or three wines, we have different sized flights. Um, we also have some snacks. We don't have a full kitchen, but we do just like different snack items because we found a lot of people wanted to hang out for. Longer periods of time, try more wines, but they they needed some food behind that. And then we do do uh, quite a few events, and I'm kind of I call myself the cruise director. I like to plan events, and I'm always trying to think of new events. But then also we kind of have some staples that have become popular over the last few years. So we, I pretty much keep keep a steady stream of, of events going at all times. So that's really probably our bread and butter is the events. Yeah, winemaker dinners, mm-hmm. um, classes. We did a, a sushi lunch and wine. Yeah, we that bring went really in, well. Yeah, we bring in uh, Chef Chris Franz from the Rattlesnake Club, and we often do wine He's dinners awesome. with him. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, and Shannon teaches most of the workshops, and those have been really popular. So that makes me really excited because a lot of times on a given day, especially on like a Friday night when we're really busy, I can't just stand there and, and tell them every single thing about every single winery. Right. And obviously if people have questions, I'm more than happy to answer them. But some people don't want to me to talk to them. Uh, they want their wine and they want me to go away. Uh, I had some people on Friday night in Shelby who like, can I bother you to tell me a little bit about grapes in Michigan? And I'm like, okay, buckle up because now, <laughs> now I'm going to geek out and I, I probably scared these poor people away, but I was really into it. And they seemed they seemed really interested. And that always makes me happy when people come to the workshops and they really want to learn about wine. And they want to, you know, not just about like, you know, sometimes it's about technique. Sometimes it's about a particular varietal. Sometimes it's about a particular winery. But um, it's, it makes me really happy when there's people that really want to learn about, about Michigan wine and are really getting enthusiastic about Michigan wine. Because Michigan has this huge craft beer, you know, movement. And the craft beer people are so enthusiastic and I'm like how do we get I, I feel like we have tons of people on our main page that you know they talk about Michigan wine every night and everything but for some reason I feel like the craft beer people are somehow more 
I don't know. More organized. <laughs> yeah, we need like a you know Michigan wine revolution here. Is, is there is there a uh, over uh, overreaching kind of like authority in in Michigan that uh, regulates uh, the grapes and the wine and like because I was looking at the bottle and I didn't see anything about percentages. I, it says what kind of blend it is, but it, you know you look at some of the other. Um, you know, states and, and whatnot, and they have very strict rules about what you can put on labels. And the r- rules are about the same. It's it's all handled federally through the TTB. Um, so there are certain regulations of what you can and what you can't put on the bottle. A lot of the stuff in in the U.S. is optional. You don't have to list the grapes and things like that. Whereas if you go to Italy or France, it's very, very strict, sure. right? There's a tremendous amount of rules and regulations. Strict, yeah. yeah, so in the U.S., it's kind of the wild west of, of wine laws. But there are some certain things that you, you have to put on and certain things that you can't put on. Is there anything proprietary to Michigan, though? There's nothing in – to my knowledge, there's nothing in Michigan that supersedes the TTB because states can make things more complex or more specific. Oregon. Yeah. What TTB stands for? Tobacco trade. and Whoa, this is – Putting us, putting us on the spot. <laughs> oh, it's a Siri moment. Trade Bureau. Hey Siri, what does the TTB feds, mean? The man. That's but but so. Uh, TTB. Like, the web. <laughs> hey Siri, what does TTB stand for? <laughs> this good radio. She's not reading it. Tur- no. Tibet Tourism Bureau? No. Probably not. Probably not. Pretty sure that's So the answer is that, the, the, I mean, there's nothing that supersedes that. So there's no, like. Now, there's no, there's no authority over them. Now, there are some support groups. There, there's the Michigan Grape and Wine Industry Council um, who, who put on the Michigan Showcase that you guys were at last week. So that's a, a support organization for them. And they offer a lot of marketing and things like that. So, so I guess my question then is, do you think, like, when you look at, like, the brewers and stuff like that, um, do you think that the, if Michigan had some type of authority over that, it would broaden the scope of where Michigan wines went? I mean, it's, it's possible, sure. I, I mean, any, anything to help, you know, keep everybody on the same path and, and keep the, the focus narrow, I think, helps a lot. All right, and here's what it stands for. The Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. So it's the ATTTB. Okay. Well, the feds. <laughs> the feds. <laughs> the man. There are some things that are um, unique to a Michigan label, though, um, that's just based on the geography and the, and the kind of the federal divisions of the state. Um, so you were mentioning the um, the alcohol level. Now, there's a certain alcohol level, and I don't know it offhand, but if it's in between two, dif- two different li- it's, limits. It's roughly don't 11, to, 11 to 14 They don't have to put the, le- the level on it. But um, so on, let's say on the Domain Barian one here, um, it says Lake Michigan Shore on the front here. So this is actually a really good point because a lot of times people come in and they ask us how they can tell when they look at a wine bottle if it actually has Michigan grapes in it or if the grapes are brought in from out of state. So on this one, it says, uh, this is the Domain Barian label, it says Lake Michigan Shore, and that's the American viticultural area. Not to get too geeky, mm-hmm. but there's five American viticultural areas in Michigan. We just gained a new one last year, which is Tip of the Mitt, and that's up in the Petoskey area. So Lake Michigan Shore is in southwest Michigan, so that means that the, the grapes in this bottle, the majority of the grapes in this bottle, in this case, all the grapes in the bottle, um, came from the Lake Michigan Shore area. So you might see Lake Michigan Shore. You might see Fenville, which is actually um, preceded Lake Michigan Shore, but is now a, like a smaller subset of Lake Michigan Shore. Um, there's Old Mission Peninsula, Leelanau Peninsula, and um, the tip of the mitt. So um, if you see those on the bottle, that gives you a better idea of where the grapes actually came from in the state. So now this one, this one is, we're going to talk about in a little bit. It's from Chateau Aeronautique in Jackson. He sources his grapes from uh, different growers in Michigan. So it actually just says Michigan versus saying the, the AVA because he's not located within one of those federally designated areas. And basically the people in that area have to petition the federal government to designate that as an AVA based on having a difference in climate or soil or various things compared to the areas around them. But by saying Michigan, though, that means that's Michigan grapes. Yes, that means that the majority of the okay. grapes in that bottle are from 80%. Michigan. 80%. Is, is that a prevalent practice to source source the grapes? And Is he just bottling this then? Or? No, he's making the wine. He's sourcing the okay. grapes from different Michigan growers, but he's actually producing the wine. So there's all different, there's all different models throughout the state. Um, there's. Are you looking at me? Oh, I'm not not close enough to the microphone. 
Um, there's all different models over the state. There's some that grow all their own grapes, like Wally from Domain Berrien. Um, there's people that source some of their grapes and grow some of their grapes, like Sandhill Crane and Jackson. Um, there's some like Lorenzo from Chateau Aeronautique, where he's actually planting vineyards right now, but it takes about three years for the grapevines to be ready to produce wine-worthy grapes. Um, so he's sourcing his grapes from various parts of Michigan, but he brings them together at his winery and actually makes the wine. So he's just getting the raw materials, so to speak. Um, and then there's some places that bring in, you know, grapes from elsewhere, some places that bring in juice from elsewhere. So that's why if you're really interested in knowing where your grapes come from, it's important to know how to read a wine label because sometimes it's not exactly apparent and some people make it more obvious than others where the grapes come from. That's a parallel to the whiskey market. That's where totally. we're trying to draw yeah. for our listeners. We've talked about bourbon a lot and how it's kind of a... Age statement, uh, yeah. proof, all that stuff. Well, the dirty secret that a lot of brands just buy the spirit from the whiskey factory in Indiana and slap their label on it. Mm-hmm. And as a consumer, there's bombarded with brands, so many brands I can't even keep up, but uh, how to figure out which brands are being transparent about what's actually in the bottles. Right, so right. Just trying to see. Yeah, what, and that, uh, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about, saying if we had any Michigan, Michigan authority that was regulating what you could put on a Michigan label – uh, I think that would go, uh, my belief, I think it would go a long way to advancing Michigan wines outside the region. Well, in the Michigan wine and, Grape and Wine Industry Council does have a list of, of wineries that are kind of, um, I don't know the best way Good to say it. Good players? No, um, that, that use a certain percentage of Michigan grapes, and so they're listed on their website versus ones that just, you know, bring in wine from elsewhere, juice from elsewhere, grapes from elsewhere. Um, so in order to be listed on their website, you do have to use a, a majority of uh, Michigan grapes. So if you go on their website, michiganwines.com, it does show you the ones in Michigan. that, And they're starting to list cideries as well. Actually, that's a recent development. So we are going to take a break. We'll be right back, taste a couple more wines. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, Nick. What? What's the worst thing that could happen to wine? <sighs> it falling over on the counter. Besides that, mm, going bad, going bad, and and how, how how do you keep wine from going bad? You know, you put the cork in it, you put it in the fridge. Well, I mean, yeah, or drink it. Yeah, if you finish it all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I not think, all of us are alcoholics. Yeah, I mean, so you know, our sponsor this month is Art A R Capital T. So the art of wine preservation, right? Uses argon gas yeah, for those of us for those of us who don't finish a bottle of wine at one sitting. And you know, I'm not going to judge if you do. Because I'm one of those people that do. Art uses argon gas. Argon gas is this awesome inert gas that uh, works as an uh, inert blanket. One would even call it a noble gas. It is. Yeah, it's very noble. Yeah. yeah. And, and this inert blanket covers the wine. It makes the wine all like cozy in the bottle after you've opened it and used it for a little while. Well, right? it's because oxygen's just a jerk. And it yeah. just screws up with wine. So that's why this argon blanket keeps the oxygen away and makes it safe and fresh. And th- this, you, you drink a little bit of wine, say you drink a half a bottle, and you op- leave it, uh, you squeeze some of this in there. Two seconds. Two seconds worth. Yep. And that'll keep for... Like a week. Yeah. So that, that extends some time. So, you know, most of us are going to drink a bottle, maybe a whole bottle a night, maybe half, but you get that next half a bottle, because you open that second bottle. Or that's if you wanna, the problem. You know, if you want to try multiple things, that's where this comes on. You know, you want to open a bottle here, a bottle there. Put a little wine preservation in there, you're safe. A little art, wine preservation, you're good to go. That's AR capital T. Presents the, protects the elegant fermented grape because spoiled wine sucks. And we're back. Guys, we poured another wine. Uh, let's Which does talk not about, suck. No, this, <laughs> so this is, this is a rosé. Rosé is so hot right now. Um, rosé all day. For sure. it, it is summertime. Um, it's rosé season, summertime. if summertime. you will. Uh, you know, it's patio summer, patio <laughs> drinking, summer. <laughs> uh, 50 degrees. patio day drinking, preferable. Yes. Everyone, of course. Absolutely. Um, so this is, uh, from Ver- Verterra. Verterra. Yep. All yep. right. Let's, uh, let's talk about this. Where's, where's Verterra and, right. uh, let's talk about So rose. this one is one of my current favorites. I, I, a few years ago, Shannon was really into dry rosés and I kept trying them and I didn't like them and one day it was just like the switch was flipped and now I can't get enough of rosés and uh, Verterra consistently produces a good rosé I feel like and this is their newest rosé we just uh, he actually released it Paul the owner 
was down at our Shelby Township and Royal Oak locations about a week and a half ago and released it for the first time. So it was even before it was released up north. So that's pretty cool. Um, so these, this is going to be a dry rosé made, made out of Cabernet Franc. Uh, Cabernet Franc does really well in the state because it requires a little bit less of a growing season than Cabernet Sauvignon. It's one of the parent grapes of Cabernet Sauvignon. And um, it's delicious as a red wine, but also as a rosé. So as you were saying, when it when it finally gets warm outside, if it ever does, um, you know, I was I'm, warm in February. Yeah, it was, remember. it was it like was warmer degrees. in February and November, I think, than it has been so far in spring. But um, so, you know, I'm a dry red drinker, but when it's 90 degrees outside and you feel like you're drinking soup if you're drinking Cabernet Sauvignon or something on the patio. So this is definitely kind of for the I feel like it's for red wine drinkers who want a summertime drink. That's kind of my. My feeling towards rosé, you know, it has a little more body than a white, um, but it's still refreshing at the same time, and it's super food friendly too. I know it's kind of the theme of the day, but it goes with cheeses, you know, barbecue, all kinds of summertime foods. Sold is is uh, <laughs> is rosé the kind of like, I mean, given its popularity, is do you see a lot of Michigan producers like presenting rosés? Jumping the rosé bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of rosés out there now. Um, but it's funny because you kind of see two schools of thought. There's some people who are already on the rosé bandwagon. They're like, oh, yeah, rosé all day, like you said. People are really into it. But then there's some people who still remember white Zinfandel and, and think, like, <laughs> rosés equal white Zinfandel. And, and so trying to convince some people who have that stuck in their head that there can be dry rosés is, is challenging sometimes. People sometimes see pink and they assume it's sweet. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trader Joe's still sells the Charles Shaw white Zin, right? I mean, they did when I was there. I, I, don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> that was it. Was a popular. Uh, is it sweet? I, I never tried it. I was. Okay. I wasn't. I wasn't um, man enough to to or whatever you want to call it, crazy enough. I don't know. Um, Whenever well, I think of that, I just think of two old guys popping up saying, "Thank you for your support." Am I, am I the oldest one That's here to remember? Bar- there we go. <laughs> <laughs> now, so Vato wants to know if you sell gallons of wine. <laughs> do you, do, you, sell, do you sell this in a box? <laughs> um, is there just a hair of sparkle on here? Or is that just me? I guess it's really young. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really young. Really young wines will often have a little bit of effervescence in it. Yeah. So it's, effervescence it's, in the way. I thought. Yeah, a little bit for yeah. sure. You know, it's it's not an intentional sparkle. They're not. You know, they're not doing any type of a secondary fermentation or anything like that. But just you know, being a young wine, you'll see some of that uh, okay. effervescence come through. So so I'm. I hate to go back to the labeling, but so that label says 100% coming from this 100% pure. Kind of thing. Right. And this and the other label didn't have that. Any idea why one place would say, you know, kind of point out that all their grapes are coming from this and the other one doesn't? Yeah, it's just a marketing decision on their, on their okay. perspective. So so the farther, more, the more specific you go down, kind of the more prestige there is, I guess, associating with the fact that it's from Leelanau Peninsula. So they just choose to put, you know, 100% pure Leelanau Peninsula um, because then people, it's really clear to people that, you know, these are Michigan grapes. Um, for Wally's wine here, you know, it says the state bottled. It's... it's um, that also means 100% from his vineyards, but not everybody knows that. So it's just a matter of, of educating wine drinkers just to know what that means when they see a state grown and bottled on the label. But I think that's pretty clever of them to put that on the front because it's really straightforward. Yeah. It's like smack you in the face. This is definitely Michigan wine. So so you guys you guys are, I mean, you know, Michigan by the bottle, right? But mm-hmm. you recently got back from France. We did, yep. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about... Um, what was your trip to France like, like in terms of the wine tasting that you? Because I, I, I was kind of following you on social media, mm-hmm. it was kind of an all-day um, excursion of drinking wine. I'm sure it was terrible. It, it right, was, it was awful. Um, and how? And did you explain to the winemakers there um, that you what you guys did over here, and how was how was Michigan wine received over there? As like, yeah. We took the trip with uh, Lorenzo Lizaralde um, and his girlfriend Angela from Chateau Aeronautique Winery. Mm-hmm. And this is the second year in a row that we've went. They were so uh, gracious. He invited us last year when we went to the Champagne region in France. And this year we went to the Bordeaux region of France. And Lorenzo is an incredible planner when it comes to wineries. Because unlike in Michigan where you just drop in to and say, hey, I want to do a tasting – in France, everything is done by appointment, right? If, if, you, if, you, if you dropped in, most of the time they'd look at you funny. So ahead of time, um, he sent them you know, uh, a letter on his letterhead letting them know. Like a he, physical freaking letter. Um, I don't know if he did physical letters or faxes or emails. He's faxes, a, he's, wow. Faxes, yeah, either way. <laughs> right? I mean, We're stuck in the 80s. <laughs> no, he was joking that he used Google Translate you know, to write in oh, French. Sure. And yeah, they, yeah. Would, they would write back and be like, wow, you're, you're wonderful French. And 
Google Translate is really, really good. Yeah, it, it does the job. I use it to book some restaurants. Yeah. So good job. But, but he would explain that you know he's 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 a winemaker from Michigan and he's traveling with some sommeliers uh, from Michigan and we want to experience French wine and we want to learn. We want to learn about Bordeaux. We want to learn about the way teach you us, do teach wine. Us. I'm sure they loved it. Yeah. yeah. And we got into just a tremendous um, amount of very prestigious wineries, a lot of first growth Bordeaux, a lot of very, you know, really highly acclaimed wineries. And oftentimes when we got there, uh, especially if we were meeting with the winemaker, Lorenzo would present a bottle of his wine to the to the winemakers and they were just thrilled. I mean, there there was not a snobbishness about it that you would think. It was very much they had a lot of questions. Oh, what grapes does Michigan grow? And, and you know, how are you doing this? And there was a lot of that kind of stuff back and forth. And I think they were really interested in trying some of the wines. Did any of them open the bottles while he was there? I don't think. Well, we met with one of his um, friends that he's a winemaker who we met in the past, and so she opened the bottle and mm. we drank it at dinner. I don't think any of the other ones opened it right there, but but they all seemed really amazed when they asked what kind of grapes we grew or what that mm. he grew because he would start listing all the grapes and you know like we were talking earlier about the the really stringency of labeling in Europe and and you know in most of the old world wine countries they're only in those regions they're only growing right, certain right. grapes so you know they're like you grow all those grapes and then you know he just he looks like a super star you know and, and yeah. if you've ever met him he's he's a, he's quite the character um he's just such a personable guy so i mean i think all the wineries were pretty pretty charmed by him but um the funniest story was that um we we showed up at chateau cheval blanc so obviously a very very famous winery um and when we got to the uh the intercom they they said are you here for the premier tasting and we just heard tasting we're like yeah we're here for our appointment <laughs> and then as we're driving in we realized they were ta- that we're like did they say in premier this the, the futures tasting where all the brokers go in and taste and then buy all the wine basically like they don't even sell the wine at the chateau because they they sell them all in futures mm. and we're like um this might not we might not be who they think we are and then when we got there they said are, are you the people from hong kong <laughs> and we said um no so I, I think we weren't supposed to get in chateau cheval blanc i mean he wrote them a letter they said okay but we so, got in chateau cheval blanc we got to drink wine and we got to walk around so, so it worked out what, what does that mean in terms of like so you say it like is chateau cheval blanc like a highly esteemed like super exclusive place to get into yeah very much so so you know oftentimes you're looking at, at expensive wines and in, in Bordeaux expensive, especially. because i don't think people understand what expensive wines are i think you're we, talking like hundreds per bottle right yeah i think um cheval blanc was like fifteen hundred dollars a yeah. bottle yeah, i mean it ranges from like three hundred <laughs> yeah. to fifteen hundred dollars yeah, a bottle but yeah most of them don't even sell them there because they're all sold on the futures market so, so. bordeaux there's a book called vino vino business i don't know if you guys have read it um it talks about that whole futures market yeah. And like China coming in and like just buying up stuff just because they want the Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. They don't even care what it is. It's just the name. Yeah. It's just the name and just the craziness that goes behind that. There's a great movie called Red Obsession. Okay. And when I tell people what it's about, they look at me like that sounds like the most boring movie ever. But for, for wine geeks, it's very interesting. And it's about that very thing, the, the, the Chinese buying up all the Bordeaux and it's driving the prices up and how they're just obsessed with the kind of the culture of Bordeaux. And that, yeah, like you said, they don't they don't even care exactly what it is. It's Bordeaux and they want it. Um, and it's, it's a very interesting movie. It's a documentary narrated by Russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Available yeah. on Netflix. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I'm all over it. What, what does uh, – so 1500 bucks a bottle um, upwards of you know over $1,000, right? What's an expensive bottle of Michigan wine? Like what is like – What have you seen a top out at? Top out. 100 probably. Yeah. I mean uh, right around 100 becomes a very, very expensive bottle. Because I bought a Magnum from you guys from the, from the Aronique. Yeah. And I don't Aronique. think it was that high. Sixty bucks. Sixty yeah. bucks. Yep, yep. Yeah. No. There's there's some. I, I believe it was the twenty eight ninety six Langley at Bowers was selling for around a hundred recently. And I mean, it's all especially with the the bad winters. I think it, some of the reds, the prices kind of got driven up because of the supply and demand that there wasn't as much available. But but I, I think most of the time you can get a really quality bottle of Michigan wine for you know twenty bucks. Yeah, twenty thirty bucks, especially if you're looking at a you know higher end red. Yeah, yeah, I certainly you don't see it much above thirty occasionally, but yeah. not not a tremendous amount. So it's still very affordable market. Yeah. Anything in the mass markets? Anything? Any of Michigan wines in like your Costco's or Kroger's Costco's and, actually has a pretty phenomenal wine. Selection. They do have a great wine selection, but yeah, so, some of the bigger producers you'll you'll see at Costco. I think the last time I was there, I saw Chateau Grand Traverse had a couple of their Rieslings there. Um, that's the only thing I've seen personally at Costco. I know Meyer and Kroger carry a, a fair Lawrence. amount. I bet the M. Lawrence is there. 
Yeah, the M. Lawrence stuff from, from Elmo. I just wasn't listening. No, I did. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for paying attention to me. There. <laughs> it is um, so Britsky. How about uh, like outside of the state? Is there mm, a, a Michigan wine presence um, nationwide? Like the, the, Ohio by the bottle. Right. <laughs> There's very limited. I mean, there are a handful of of wineries that are that are exporting out. Chateau Grand Traverse being one of them. Chateau Grand Traverse was exporting to China. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Yeah. But for the most part, everybody's keeping it fairly local, and it's primarily because they're not making enough wine. They can't make they can't make enough wine. They literally sell out every vintage every year. So there's no need at this point, and they just they can't grow enough grapes fast enough to kind of meet the demand as it is. So it's very difficult to see a lot of the Michigan wines outside the state. Is there a need for um, take founders, for example, and they, they were, you know, a part of their business was purchased um, by San Miguel, I believe, um, for like a worldwide market. Um, is there outside investment that's necessary for these places to grow? To expand, or, or, like to get more grapes? And to, and to get a presence in these. Uh, are there places... Are the producers that can even meet the production needs to go outside the state, um, aside from, you said, Chateau Grand Traverse? Yeah, I mean, again, there's some big ones. There's St. Julian and Leland Sellers. But – and again, I don't know the specifics about everybody's individual business, but I don't think that there's enough grapes available right now in Michigan for them to do that because grapes are kind of at a premium in the state. You know, they're – everything they get, especially if you have a bad winter or you have some issues with the crop, they only have so much to work with. And, you know, short of going outside the state to bring in additional grapes, um, a lot of them are just using everything they can here and, and satisfying the demand locally first. See, and I think that'll be – until we can do that, we're not going to get, I feel like, the recognition. Because if you can't even get it out of the state, California is going to be like, well, we send you all of our stuff. Why don't you send us anything? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And Until there's more of a, a presence, right, mm-hmm. and people see it. And that's, that's why you don't see it in a lot of the wine journals and Wine Spectator and things like that. It's not because it's they're too not, small. Yeah. yeah, it's not because they're not high-quality wines, but the people that read Wine Spectator live in California and New York, right. and you can't find many Michigan wines there. Well, the Wine Spectator, uh, for lack of a better word, guy, reporter, was up in uh, northern Michigan, I think, last year. And some of, some of the know. northern Michigan wineries did make it into Wine Spectator. But, but yeah, it's, an, it's not like a regular occurrence just because – I mean, I have people come in and they'll be like, what's this wine rated? And I'm like, you know – 22 from me. <laughs> just, yeah, like just, just, I don't even think sometimes when people ask that they even really know what it means. And, and if you go to some of the, the wine shops, you know, if you pay attention to those shelf talkers, sometimes they're not even talking about the same vintage that they're actually selling. So it's just they're just messing with you sometimes. Dirty you know? little secret. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, that's not even the same wine. And there can be a lot of vintage variation. I mean, there you know, there's some wineries that kind of have their house style and it's really consistent year to year. But sometimes you go into... You know, I'm not going to name any names, but like, you know, certain markets that have wine and you look at the thing and you're like, that's not even the same wine. So how do I know? You know, so I don't really put a lot of stock into ratings, you know, and you find wineries that you feel are doing consistently good work that care about their product and you find things that you like and and people that you like. I mean, that's one of the cool things about the Michigan wine industry is that unlike France, where you have to make an appointment <laughs> to go taste wine, you know, most of these places are open to the public and, you know, on a regular basis. And sometimes you can walk in and you can just talk right to the winemaker directly, especially in the off season when it's not that busy. And, and you know, sometimes you start talking to the winemaker. They're like, hey, you want to come down and have some barrel samples? Before you know it, you and the winemaker are, you know, best buds. I mean, that doesn't, you know, that probably doesn't happen everywhere. Yeah. I think that's part of the you know, part of the cool thing about Michigan. If wine. you're ever in a Michigan winery and the winemaker says, "Hey, do you want to go taste some barrel samples?" You just say yes. The answer is always, always yes. yes. <laughs> would Would you guys think that there's a, a huge discrepancy between like Michigan wines and Ontario wines? Is kind of a similar or region or Niagara? Yeah. Well, I mean, Stratford it has yeah. a total of you know, I don't even know how many wineries they have out there, but there's just a ton of that out there yeah. and. Yeah, we went to Niagara on the Lake a few years ago, and we really, really enjoyed it out there. Um, one of the main differences is, and I'm kind of rusty on this, but they have their VQA labeling system right. that that restricts some of the grapes that they can grow um, or use to get and still have that quality assurance label. So um, that's obviously something, like you said earlier, we don't have in Michigan. So, um, you know, that, that limits a little bit of the grapes, which, you know, you could argue on either side if that's a good a good thing or a bad thing. If they're <laughs> emphasizing the grapes that grow well in that in that area, then, you know, you say it's a good thing. And on the other hand, some people might argue it's restricting the creativity or the, you know, the winemakers. So I don't Yeah, but it, it's a similar 
climate, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's just, you know, we're right along the same the same parallel roughly. So it, it's still going to be a cool climate viticulture area. So a lot of the same grapes grow really well in Canada and here. They do Things a lot like, more ice wine. Yeah, yeah they, no, they do yeah. a lot of ice wine with Vidal Blanc. They do a lot of uh, ice wine with Riesling. Um, they do a lot of Cabernet Franc. Mm-hmm. You know, again, similar stuff to Michigan. Okay. So, so we have one more uh, wine uh, that you brought with, with you guys. Um, this is uh, Chateau... Aeronautique, is that how you say that? Yep. Aeronautique. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about Lorenzo, mm-hmm. uh, who is the uh, wine winemaker mm-hmm. there. Um, kind of explain Chateau Aeronautique and um, and this wine that you brought. I also feel like with a name like Lorenzo, you have yeah. to do something awesome. Yeah, I mean, he, we, we <laughs> joke that he's the most interesting man in the world. And I'm not just saying that because he took us to France <laughs> twice. Um He's a really interesting guy because he just he's full of stories. So if you ever go out to the winery, which is in Jackson, and he's there, um, he can tell you so many interesting stories about traveling because he's a commercial pilot. So he's been all over the world um, and about you know winemaking, and he's just a very interesting guy. And um, you know if if you can, the viewers can't see the label, but if you look on the on the internet. There's a, a plane on the front of his uh, labels, obviously, uh, you know, throwing back to the, the whole commercial pilot thing. But he also lives in a neighborhood in Jackson that um, everybody in the neighborhood is a pilot. So they have, you know, a garage for their car and a hangar for their plane. Shut the and, front door. No. Yep. That is awesome. So if you have a private plane, you too can fly to his neighborhood and land right there. And so wait, the wait a second. Tasting. So it's like the front of the house, like a street and the back of the house, like a runway. Basically. Absolutely. Like, like a grass landing strip. <laughs> My yeah. dream. So it's, he started out with, he started out shortly after we started out. So it's kind of fun because, you know, he, he was one of the first wineries. I think we actually even did a video on. So I'm afraid to even look back at this video because it probably was really bad just from my technical capabilities, which haven't really improved over the years. but um, As we're so proud of our first video. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have like headphones and microphones and everything. But, um, so he, has a li- he had a little gazebo with how he started out and you would do the wine tasting there. But then he got so popular that he um, ended up just expanding uh, out in that area, in that property right there in that neighborhood. Um, so he has a little bit larger tasting room. And then, as I mentioned earlier, he just bought some property to plant his own vines. And it's in the Irish Hills, so in the Brooklyn, Michigan area. And he's putting a new winery there. I mean, you know, still at Chateau Aeronautique, just another location. Um, he's going to move the winemaking operations there and because um, they're currently in his, like, hangar area. And he's going to do a brewery as well. So. Mm. He's a busy guy. <laughs> and in between, he's flying to Amsterdam and Singapore and Germany. And uh, he's the fabulous life of Lorenzo Lizar all day. So when you mm. went to France, did he fly you? He didn't. No. Okay. No. That's a hike. Yeah. Shout out to the label on this one. I mean, the, There's so, so much the info. Last, yeah. The last label had not only the percentage of grapes that came from Michigan, but it had a, a dryness scale. Mm-hmm. This one has the dryness scale and it has the actual percentage of grapes from the different varieties mm-hmm. that make the blend. Yeah. I love when they put all that information on I the bottle. Too, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've gone into wine stores before to try wine, and I've been like, what's in this blend? And they're like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> like, that's what I tell you want our, it? That's what I tell our team. You know, if you don't know the answer to something, that's fine. But just at least tell the people that you're going to find out for them. Right. But I love when they just put it on the bottle. It just makes it easy. You know, I'm very curious about what's in my wine. I want to know what's in the blend, you know. And yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a red wine blend. And you're like, oh, I wonder what's in it. What and kind, I mean, what this kind of great. This yeah. says specifically yes. X percentage of yeah. the, you know, this yeah. grape. And yeah, this one's a Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc Merlot blend. So, so fittingly, with our trip to Bordeaux, this is this is what you would call a Bordeaux style blend or a Meritage style blend. Um, a lot of places in Michigan do a Meritage, but you do have to pay a fee to the Meritage uh, Association or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, so some people just call it a proprietary name, and he calls it Aviatrix Crimson. And Aviatrix is a female aviator. And even uh, the label even says says what to pair it with, and I mean, it's just he's very yeah. comprehensive. No, it's very, <laughs> it's very. I mean, for the, for the consumer, you know. Yeah. I, I never no, understood why places yeah. more places don't do things like that because it, it's your small role in educating the consumer. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Right? If you're why comparing you two things. You got two things in your hand. Like, what do I want? Like this one just doesn't say anything. This one says everything I want to say, and right. to buy that. Well, so. Par- I think what you're getting at, and I think this is um, a, a good point with the wine store. Um, kind of like, you know, I don't know what's in the blend mm-hmm. statement, is that you guys, so you guys are sommeliers, yes? Okay. Um, level. Le- certified. So certified. level two. Level mm-hmm. two. Okay. So um, you guys, the serv- the level of service that you guys provide at your stores is much different than, say, a place that sells wine as, as a 
side gig or like any yeah. type of large when was scale. The last, when was the last time you went into Costco and asked the guy on the forklift to get off the forklift to come help you with the wine selection? <laughs> well, right. And, and this you is know how many times he's used that Don't joke. ask me questions like that. So, <laughs> Not the first time. How does well, your, actually. <laughs> and Vato's point about the label is that I think the, the label is important in the absence of someone who know, knows what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with you guys, like how, does, how do your employees um, – how is your training structured? Well, we really try to make sure we emphasize to our, our team members that, um, like I mentioned before, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff to remember. And we've kind of immersed ourselves in this over the last few years. So to me, a lot of this stuff is, is easier to remember than somebody who's just getting started in the position. But I always tell them the most important thing is just that if you don't know something, it's okay, but you need to make sure you find out for the person. Because I just think it's unacceptable to tell people, I don't know. But have no plans to to follow up on that. I mean, the, the consumer is the consumer Typical. is curious so about your game. your product that you're selling, and you're not gonna you're not gonna even find out. Um, we also, you know, we try to um, kind of quiz them on the grapes and the wineries, and they come to our wine workshops to learn more. Um, some of them have gone through the intro sommelier program. Some of them are preparing for the certified exam. So um, they're at all different levels. We we hire kind of a range of people. I, I, I always look for people who are enthusiastic because you can't teach people to mm-hmm. be enthusiastic or care. Um, but, you know, we have all ranges of wine knowledge coming in. But our goal, um, once they're settled in, is to really get them up to speed on all of the the varietals that are really popular in Michigan and definitely about our partner wineries and, and about Michigan wine in general. So that if people say, I'm going to Traverse City, you know, what should, I've never been there. Tell me about it. Or Southwest Michigan. And, and really trying to also tell people about the trails that get less attention than Traverse City. Because I know Traverse City seems like everybody knows about Traverse City. And, and um, Southwest Michigan – there's a lot of people from Chicago that go there, and I, but I feel like a lot of people out in our area don't even seem to know that there's wineries over there. And the same with Jackson, um, you know, Chateau Aranatiques out there, Sand Hill Crane. There's there's probably about 20 wineries, 15, You, could, 20 you could just drive down 94 if you're going from Detroit to Chicago, and there's a sign that says, mm-hmm. stop here for, mm-hmm. uh, what, St. Julian, right? Is off of there somewhere? Yeah, that, that's in Southwest, yeah. Yeah, yeah you just keep driving. It's like, stop here for tasting here. Stop mm-hmm. here for, you're going to get to Michigan City at the, the outlet stores there. I'm sure there's. Yeah. We've gone too far at that point. Oh, yeah, and that's in Indiana. I can't <laughs> but a lot of people don't even know about the Pioneer Wine Trail, and that's about an hour, hour and a half from Metro Detroit. So that's if you don't want to go spend money on a hotel or, you know, you want to just do a day trip. It's a perfect day trip. So we try to make sure people know about, about those other trails as well. I would have never known that. No. Yeah, yeah. there you go. To- yeah. We always give out the Michigan Wine Country magazine that the Michigan Grape and Wine Industry Council puts out because it has all the trails, and then they can plan their trip and – so, so you guys – so you started a blog and you um, probably traveled a lot to kind of build content for that, yes? I feel like we traveled more before. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. So now yeah. now you have the store. Do people come to you? Like, And so now, now you're at the position where like the wineries are like – you guys are like the godfathers of like southeast Michigan wine I think in purveyors. We make them fax us a letter. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, come I, to see me on the day of my daughter's wedding. When I quit my job as a reporter, I, I had this delusion that, oh, I'm, I'm going to start this tasting room and I'm going to have all this time to just focus on wine and I'm going to be able to do so much more for our blog. And, and honestly, I feel like, you know, we've, we've been trying to get back into the blog because the everyday, you know, challenges of running a business really take up more time than, than you think. Even though you are doing stuff in wine all day, it's not going to Traverse City and drinking wine. You know, <laughs> it's like it's payroll, know, payroll, it's, it's inventory, it's, it's hiring and staffing and scheduling. Um, but I love it. It's just it's just, you know, it's never what you exactly how you picture it in your head. It just. You kind of adapt to what it what it turns out. But to you be. are drinking wine all day, though. Oh yeah, no. every day. No, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing all this stuff while drinking wine. We actually don't drink while we're working. <laughs> we drink at the end of the night. Okay, Shannon drinks while he's working, but the rest of but us since do it's not. Not working. It yeah, because if there's less than a glass like left in the bottle, you gotta working. finish it. Right? It's quality control. <laughs> Unless, Unless you buy yeah. AR, from our sponsor, capital AR Capital T. <laughs> it's all right off. <laughs> we all actually right. use Argon at the store. We haven't used this yet, but we're gonna give it a try because we got a from you guys but we actually use argon at the end of the week so we're closed mondays and tuesdays so on okay. sundays we spray all of our bottles nice. and it seems to be working well yeah i like argon because 12 bottles weighs the same as one bottle yeah you're always like is there anything in here but so real quick for the novices out there i know the last bottle says decant don't keep it warm any other tips aeration 
You know, the, any of that stuff you can get from Bed Bath & Beyond, anything like that. From the <laughs> or you can get it from us. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, we, we always, I like to think of it, how do we do it at home, right? If I'm not selling stuff, if I'm not at a store, how do I drink red wine at home? And, and I drink red wine decanted at home. So I, I always, 99% of the time, um, decant it, So which is just pouring it into a bigger vessel. It allows some oxygen interaction. It helps, you know, build out the aromas in the wine. And it helps it open up, softens a little bit of the tannins. And makes it a much more enjoyable experience. And you can use an aerator, especially if you're only going to drink one glass out of the bottle. I don't, know if, any, I don't know if any of you do that, but uh, I it does think, the exact same thing. I drink right from the bottle. <laughs> Is that okay? No, just shake it first. <laughs> you're fine, Charles Bukowski He's got style. this thing. It's like an aerator that he just puts over his mouth. And just... We have a picture of us doing that in France on the last day. We're, we had this beautiful hotel for most of the week. And then the last night we were staying in Sheenan, and then the hotel was a little more... Value Hotel, and we're like, okay, well, we were going to stay up all night so I could sleep on the plane because I don't like to fly, and I just wanted to be unconscious. And uh, we go to grab the glasses in the room, and they were kind of like scudsy, and we're all right, we're just drinking out of the bottle. <laughs> so we drank out of the bottle and like jumped up and down to try to stay awake. And It was a rosé. Yeah, it was a rosé. All day. All day. Rose all day. Right. Speaking of, have you guys tried the champagne bong? No. All right. More Do you have that. it with you? No, I don't have it with me. I did buy two of them. They're like this glass, like champagne glass that has like a, a pipe at the bottom for like drinking it, chugging it basically. I love this idea. Yeah. So I love horrible. champagne. How do you light it? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, sounds, hey. sounds horrible. So, so you guys have three, three locations. Yes. Uh, Royal Oak, Auburn Hills, Shelby Township. Yes. How did you pick those three locations? Shelby Township was our first one, and we live in Macomb Township. And um, Shannon did some demographic studies and that sort of thing. But we were really looking to do something close to us, um, you know, which which we're reminded of every time we drive 45 minutes to an hour out to Royal Oak. Um, <laughs> so Shelby's about eight minutes from our house, so that's wonderful. Um, so that's how we picked that first location. And then we were really heartened by what a great response we got. So people were always saying that they wanted an Oakland County version. So we started thinking, well, Royal Oak, you know, I mean, and we're, and he's from the UP originally, and I'm from Sterling Heights. So I honestly, I, I suck at anything that happens west of DeQuinder. I don't really know. I'm out of touch. So I'm like, Royal Oak, you know, everybody talks about Royal Oak. Royal Oak sounds good. So we started looking in Royal Oak and, um, we found this – we looked in a lot of places. We looked in Ferndale also, um, and we had a really cute place picked out in Ferndale. It ended up going to somebody else. So we started looking in Royal Oak, and we saw this spot on Woodward, and we're like, Woodward. Woodward is so iconic. You know, we, we want to be on Woodward. Um, so that's how that's how the store on Woodward came about. Um, this spot in Ferndale, did that store happen to go out of business? Um, no, it was, was that someone else? it was another store that was moving and then mm. apparently like we put in an offer and then the landlord leveraged it to get someone else to, <gasps> to take it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been on nine mile. It would have been it. cool. But you know, I liked Fer- we liked Ferndale a we lot. Liked Ferndale, yeah. The, yeah. the problem with, with Ferndale for us was we couldn't find the right size space. There was a lot Little of space that was really big. small mm-hmm. like and Goldilocks. a lot of space that was yeah. really big, but we couldn't find that just at, the right size. The way yeah. I bring it up is like Winezilla was there for like two years, maybe. And they couldn't make it happen. Yeah. So I didn't know. So if, maybe we did okay picking yeah, Woodward. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a weird kind of spot. I mean, it's it's a it's a kind of an odd location, but it's 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 cool because it's, it's on Woodward, and we have parking, which is kind of rare, you know. And as a Macomb County, I am like, I don't want to pay for parking. I don't want to look for parking. <laughs> I just want to park. So we we do have parking. And you're going to uh, take over Woodcraft now? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. We're, we're not rolling in that much dough. That'd be nice, though. People are like, you should just expand next door. And like, Which is like double your size, yeah, right? Yeah, right, you know, exactly. like, that wouldn't cost any money or anything. <laughs> if we should do a Kickstarter to take over Rockler. But, um, oh, Rockler. It wasn't Woodcraft. It was yeah, Rockler. yeah. Okay. Then, uh, then Auburn Hills came about because we decided we were going to actually – we actually thought about doing a different – a slightly different concept over near the Great Lakes crossing area. And um, we – had our eyes on a spot. We were talking to the landlord, and it fell through. And and once we we had been in talks with the city of Armand Hills because we had some some issues with Royal Oak. It turned out okay, but we wanted to make sure that like they were cool with what we were doing because we didn't want to get you know way into the process and have them be like, we don't want this here. So we we met with the city of Auburn Hills officials, and they were ridiculously nice. And I think if we had known that they were going to be that cool. I don't know, maybe our first location would have been there because they're awesome. <laughs> but they were so enthusiastic. They brought the police chief in to see our Shelby Township location and see, like, look, this place isn't going to cause you any, like, problems or disturbances that are pretty low-key. Um, and after we told them that our place near Great Lakes Crossing fell through, the assistant city planner said, okay, I have the 
perfect spot for you in downtown Auburn Hills. And I said, where the hell is downtown Auburn Hills? (laughs) Um, But we went and saw the space, and as soon as I saw it, I'm like, this is it. I I knew that we had to have that spot. And it it took a while to negotiate it, but it worked out. And uh, we have a patio there, so that's kind of cool. You know, if it ever get warm enough to actually open the patio, that'd be great. Um, but we're right on, on Auburn Road near North Squirrel. And it's it's just a cool little downtown area. And the city of Auburn Hills is so excited about us being there. And they're constantly checking on us and trying to involve us in things. And it's very fun. So, so then each location then would probably have their – you have different events going on in each location? Yeah. We have we have some events that kind of bounce between locations. Then we have some that are in, you know unique to a certain location. But we always have different stuff going on. We have different Facebook pages for each location. And then at the Shelby location, so this is our first one. It's our smallest one. We're partnered with six Michigan wineries. In Royal Oak, we're partnered with the same six plus two because it's a little bit bigger. And then Auburn Hills, we kind of went way off in, on a tangent, and we're partnered with 12 different wineries. So the only repeat winery across all three is Chateau Aeronautique. Mm. But it's not because he took us to France. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. So if you wanted to get something at Auburn Hills, could you order it in Royal Oak? Not under our licensing. We can't take it over there. I mean, if you were at Royal Oak and you mm-hmm. saw something that you wanted from Auburn, they could call over to Auburn and order it, and you could pick it up at Auburn. But the state is very that is complicated. But, but you literally can't like go drive out over. You no. can't like bring. You can't. Yeah, <laughs> according to the state, well, I you could. I could. You could be like a wine delivery guy. Do you want to be our wine delivery guy? That would be awesome. Wine mule. Yeah. Wine mule. Wine smuggler. Yeah. That'd be great. I'd love to do wine delivery. So are you guys bars? Like, what is your designation? We're technically considered an off-site tasting room for our partner wineries. So is there a max at how much someone can consume? There is not. Okay. Weirdly enough, no. The state has a lot of rules, Mm -hmm. and some of them... Some of the no things, sense. Some of them you think like, wow, they really should have a rule about that. And other things they're like, <laughs> Why I can't believe they that? have a rule about that. Yeah, no, yeah. It's funny because every time I talk to the like the liquor council, you ask them a question, they're like, yeah, we're not really sure. You're going to have to hire a lawyer. Like, cause I don't <laughs> well, think they that know sounds really laws. familiar, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. When, when we approached them, you know, five years ago and asked them, you know, about this concept and can we do it, that's pretty much exactly mm-hmm. what they told us. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to go and tell – I was a reporter at the time, as I said, and I had to go before the Shelby Township Board of Trustees to get their just like cursory blessing on us having a tasting room license even though they didn't really – whatever. So I went before them, but there was a reporter from my work there. So I had to tell my boss that I was leaving at some indeterminate <laughs> time in the future because this other reporter saw me there and I knew it was going to get back to my boss. And that was in probably June and we didn't. I didn't leave until December. So he was kind of like, are, "Are you leaving? Are you, what's going on?" You know. I think he thought this was never going to happen. And honestly, I thought it was never going to happen based on on just the in uncertainty from the state. But it all worked out. So the wheels turn very slow, right? Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. like wine deep throat is like hiding here, just like I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything, but he's there. He sees. He sees all. In case anybody's curious, winemule.com is taken, but they, mm. haven't, they, haven't, oh. they haven't posted since uh, November 2015. Oh, shame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so we're in the midst of Michigan Wine Month. Uh, so do you guys have any special events planned this month? Um, yeah, I mean, we have some workshops planned. Um, we have a Pinot Noir workshop actually tomorrow. Um, at the time we're no one's gonna, this. no one's gonna hear about it. Oh, uh, okay. Well, we have some <laughs> we other have workshops. 1.5 million <laughs> listeners. <laughs> this isn't this isn't projected live. This is this is recorded and we'll it'll, it'll post in a couple days. Right, well, we have so we the Pinot Noir workshop we had yesterday. It was, was so good. It was so good. <laughs> you missed it. It was great. Um, we have some guided tastings coming up. Um, one of them is with Vertera, the one we just did the rosé. Um, one one is coming up uh, next month on Cody Cresta. We have. Um, we have some. We have a, a cigar event coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah, t- the, technically, that's at the start of June. Um, and we have a, we actually have a, a, a vertical with James Lester, who's the winemaker and owner at uh, Wincroft Marlin Wine. He's we coming. Him last oh, yeah. week. He's yeah, he's awesome. a cool guy, yeah. isn't he? He's so mm-hmm. charismatic. Um, and he's friends with Lorenzo, which doesn't surprise me because they they're just both cool characters. But um, yeah, <laughs> he is. Uh, he's coming on May twenty first and doing a, a Chardonnay vertical. Um, so that's at which location? Cool. That one's at Auburn, okay. at Auburn Hills. So, um, and then we at our main page that pr- continues to promote the entire Michigan wine industry. So, not just the wineries that we're partnered with at the tasting rooms. We do a contest every Michigan Wine Month. So, previously it was April. This is the first year. It's in May, and that one we get. Uh, 
Yeah, they just switched it this year because they felt like May was a better time for people to to go visit the wineries, which is probably true because April, you know, is not is not very pretty, especially this year. Um, but we do a giveaway where we get prizes from wineries all over the state, and we give away a prize every day. So right now, you know, we're on day whatever we're on right now nine um, nine. So, and this could be – people can enter where? So if you go on michiganbythebottle.com, all the rules are there. Or if you come on Michigan by the Bottle's Facebook page, um, we do the official contest post there every morning at 10 a.m. Oh. And you click on the link, you read the question, you answer the question, and then it's just a random drawing every day. Um, so we do have the Michigan by the Bottle Facebook page where we ask people what they're drinking every night and do the contest and promote the entire industry. And then we have the separate – Facebook pages for each of the tasting rooms. Awesome. Yeah. So what what does the uh, cigar events consist of? Because I'm going to Cuba this week. And Ooh, I'm jealous. Going to learn cigarmule.com. Yeah, yeah. cigarmule.com. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, cigars are a traditional wine pairing as well or – what does that consist of, the cigar events? Yeah, we, we've been doing – we started them last year when we opened up the patio in Auburn. Um, so we're able to – what we do is we, we offer a package where people come in and they, they pre-book the, the spots and we give them a cigar. And I have – usually offer four or five different cigars. I'm a huge cigar guy, so I get That's to play around. That's basically how this started. He just wanted to <laughs> smoke cigars and drink wine and he's like, how can I make this into an event? <laughs> I needed another tax write-off. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've – The we man picked, is listening. <laughs> we, we picked a lot of cigars that were – um, different flavor profiles, some mild, some medium, some bigger, bolder. And then we give, you know, give everyone a glass of wine and we make some suggestions as to what might pair well with it. And you know, just like when you're pairing wine with food, when you're pairing wine with cigars, I always like to look at the weight. So lighter wines with lighter cigars, little bolder, heavier wines with little heavier cigars, oftentimes a little bit of a sugar, something like a port style wine goes really well with a, uh, with a bigger, bolder, bolder red. And uh, we've done it before. We bring in winemakers. Sometimes we bring in some cigar guys to talk about uh, cigars and things like that. But for the most part, it's it's just more of a social club. We encourage people to keep you know come out once a month and just hang with us out on the patio and have a cigar and enjoy some wine. Sounds amazing. So that happens in Auburn Hills. We do that at Auburn Hills. Um, and, and what is the date of the next uh, cigar event? The next one is June fourth. June fourth. Mm-hmm. That's our first Great. one of the season. Hopefully, it'll be warm by then. <laughs> <laughs> like not twenty degrees. Uh, and so, one last time, uh, where can people find you uh, online, uh, social media, all that stuff? Yep. So, MichiganByTheBottle dot com is the main website where we continue to promote the entire Michigan wine industry, and we're hoping to do a little bit more um, going forward just because we have been kind of tied up with the tasting rooms, but we're going to do some Facebook Live and that sort of thing. Um, and on Facebook, it's uh, at Mish by the Bottle for that one. And then for the tasting rooms, it's mbtbtasting.com. And then the Facebooks are at MBTB Tasting for Shelby, at MBTB on Woodward for Royal Oak, and at MBTB Auburn for Auburn Hills. Awesome. Shannon, Courtney, thanks for being with us. Today.